What's going on and welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Hope everyone had a great long holiday weekend. We are back for another week of recaps. As we start this week with Josh Hart, we'll go with Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Billy Hernan Gomez to wrap up the week. Joining us today is Scott Kushner, who uh, covers the Pelicans for the Times, PickyUNola.com, Navigate. And of course, uh, is joining us to talk about Josh Hart and Jim Offer from Pelicans.com. And I want to establish first that I have set up security for each one of you in case someone approaches us during the Zoom podcast. I don't want anyone running on the court, no popcorn throwing. I don't want water bottles flying around. So I just want to make sure everyone is safe and secure. I just want to make sure you guys got your security that I sent. I want the nets up like a baseball game. That's the next step. I want a big net around the entirety of this podcast. That's what I need. I'm very relieved that I'm not going to have to tackle someone because it's been a while since I had to use my form and, and bring someone to the ground violently. So that's very reassuring. I, I thank you for that, Daniel. I mean, do we, what is going on? I mean, do we have to have a reminder to people how to behave at a, at a ball game? I don't see this at ballparks uh, across MLB. What, what the heck is going on right there? I mean, I feel like it's gone in spats, right? Like uh, remember an MLB when like a, uh, Outfielders got attacked a couple times and yeah. then like a first base coach got, you know, beaten up. Um, so it's happened before in other places. It just happens to be like this weird thing right now in the NBA. Um, I mean, it's also not the first time somebody's run on the court. Like, do you remember in New Orleans, like some little kid ran out and just hugged Carmelo Anthony like yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> so at least that was a little kid. So it didn't quite feel as uh, malicious, but it's not as if this is like a, a brand new concept. But this string of events altogether definitely feels like a, a, a new chapter on something that we've seen before. It does make you wonder if some of it is kind of a copycat thing. Um, one, one of the theories I've heard people say, and I'm, this is 100% speculation and there's not a lot of substantial validity to it, but it's funny how it's all happened in the Northeast. It's all yeah. been in that same cluster of cities of you know New York City, um, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington. I have no idea why that is, but it, it is and it, it is kind of an odd coincidence that it's all happened in my um, native part of the country. I don't know. I'm going to have to sit some people down <laughs> and have some long talks about how to behave. But I, from a from a serious note, though, I do think that when you're talking about groups of 15, 20,000 people, I don't know how you get every single person to behave. Right. I mean, it's been fortunate in the past that there hasn't been, as Scott said, this has happened before, but it, it doesn't happen very often, which I think is um, a positive as far as that number of people. I, I don't know what you can do to, to make sure that everyone behaves. And um, I, I do think that the, I mean, these are all terrible incidents and these are all things that shouldn't happen. But the one with Trey Young to me was the one that was the most disgusting yeah. of all of them. The fact that I have a hard time understanding how just the gall that it takes of someone sitting in the second row to, tr- to spit on a player. I mean, like I said, the, the stuff with Westbrook was terrible. The stuff with the water bottle was also terrible, but it just blows my mind to think that someone doesn't see, can't comprehend why, how, how preposterous it is to, to do stuff like that. It, that. That was the one that just, just made me the most angry out of all of them. It, it's a little surprising that it hasn't happened sooner. I mean, NBA, the fans are on the court. I mean, there's three rows of floor seating. I mean, if you ever, if you ever sat on the wood at one of those games, like you realize you are on the court, like, especially yeah. the, the row right behind the bench, you are 
on top of that team. It's amazing that stuff didn't happen earlier when you consider, like you said, like you can't control what these people are doing. Like you can control after they do it, but you can't really control before anything starts. Uh, and so it is. And I've also stood on college football sidelines and gone to and a lot of college basketball arenas and those kids take hell, man. I mean, they get stuff thrown at them and it's, it's, and it's been that way for generations. Um, the NBA and pro sports in those part have kind of avoided that sort of stuff. And now it feels like they're just going to have to look at how you can avoid it or stop it. Or is it one of those situations where if you just keep increasing the penalty that eventually it will curb it like racism uh, racist chants in European soccer used to be pretty commonplace and really disgusting and, and vulgar. And it wasn't until the leagues started cracking down super hard on it and really uh, just draconian measures against it, you know, emptying stadiums and things like that, that that's when it finally started to curb it. It didn't eliminate it, but it curbed it. And I don't know if the NBA, I don't know how far this has to go for the NBA to kind of start taking into measures that maybe all of us see as somewhat unreasonable, but at the same time necessary. And I think too, that there is an element to this of the fans have to police each other. Yeah. You have to be able to tell, you know, security, if you see somebody do something that's just totally out of line. And it does sound like in some of these recent instances where that has happened. So that's, that's also a good sign that people realize like you need to, that's one of the ways that we can stop having this stuff get perpetuated is if you, you stand up immediately and be like, even, even if it's, even if you don't involve security, if you tell the person, you know, dude, this is unacceptable. We, 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 we can't have you chanting stuff like this. That's completely out of line. And I mean, people go to games with their kids. They don't want to hear stuff that's so um, horrible for their kids to be exposed to. So I think positive peer pressure also hopefully will be something that helps in some of these situations. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how the NBA handles this. Is it like Scott says, kind of been a string of things uh, throughout these, these first couple of weeks, but uh, we are here to talk about Josh Hart. I figured it was just something, you know, a topic here that we could discuss before we get to Josh Hart and Scott, I did want to talk, uh, start with you. It's just far the overall season with Josh. I know he had to deal with the injuries uh, at the end of the season where he didn't play for the last month or so, but before that he just can't, he was really that staple off the bench that really that spark that the Pelicans much needed. What'd you see from Josh uh, this season with New Orleans? He's one of the very few guys in this team that on an every night basis, you can count on was going to play hard. Uh, and especially the first few months of the season, that was, uh, he might've been the only guy that you knew kind of what you were getting when he took the court. Uh, and that says a lot when you're on a team that obviously was a, a, at least enigmatic, if not rudderless, like they were playing, way up to competition against good teams and way down to competitions that was bad teams. And he was sort of the steadying force and not that he's like a great player an all-star or anything of that nature, but at least you could sort of rely on him uh, to bring energy, to play with passion and to recognize the situation that he was in that like, Hey, this is a game that you should probably try to win. And that is important to win, whether it's Minnesota on a Tuesday in front of nobody or whether it's against the Lakers on national TV, like, these games count the same. And I think he is one of the very few guys in this roster who it didn't take any like wakening up to, to realize that he knew it uh, from the jump. Now he wasn't quite good enough to affect winning in those situations, but at least he was there on an every night basis. Uh, so I think that is probably his best, his greatest skill as much as anything. I think we'll, we'll talk about obviously his attributes and, and what he did stat wise and, what he brings on the floor. But I think from a team perspective, that is uh, certainly his most valuable uh, 
accomplishment. I think a lot of the stuff that Scott just talked about is one of the reasons why Josh Hart was immediately popular among fans. I think the vast majority of fans and Daniel and I and Scott too, we're all huge fans of other sports. So I can relate to people of what they like and what they don't like. But I think most fans understand limitations of players. They understand like, okay, this guy might not be a superstar. He might not be the most talented player in the league, but they can always support effort. They can always support consistent hustle. And to me, that's one of the things that Josh always does. Um, even, even losing, people can respect and understand lo- losing if they recognize that the effort was there for all 48 minutes of the game. So I think that's one of the reasons why he's been so popular and really from day one, the first week of the season of the first season he was here of the two that he's played in New Orleans, people immediately related to him and were like, we can get behind this guy because we know he's going to dive all over the place. He's going to scrap against guys that are 6'10", 7' foot for rebounds and come up with more than his fair share of him. So it's it's his, his mentality is something that I think is something that across the board we'd like to see more of. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about attributes, Scott. I think one of the attributes that everyone likes to talk about with him is his rebounding, as Jim mentioned that as well. I mean, this is a guy that – uh, almost led the league as far among guards or did lead the league for some point with rebounds per game. I mean, what was it about him that you just saw? You talk about that hustle that he was the guy that was going in there getting the boards uh, for the Pelicans, one of the rare things for a guard to do. I mean, how impressive was that for him as, as far as his rebounding skills were concerned? Yeah, I mean, it's really important. I think I think there's a there's a degree of, uh, of that tenacity which shows – like what we just talked about as far as the way he, he plays. And did he vulture some rebounds from his own teammates? That's probably fair to say at times. <laughs> However, it does also show that he does care. Like he does, it's something that he wants to do is get those rebounds. That is important to him to grab those. And on a team where Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are on the floor a lot, and neither of those guys have shown really a propensity to care that much about defensive rebounding, uh, he is a guy that is really important to grab those rebounds because basically Steven Adams and Josh Hart are the only guys who prioritize it, I would say, uh, on that roster. And when you see games, I mean, he had, what, two 17-rebound games, two 16-rebound games, a couple of 15-rebound games. Like, that does not happen for a dude who's, what, 6'4", 6'5". And that is, I mean, 90% of that is just effort. And, and I guess instinct as well. Uh, he wants the ball. He's going to attack it. He gets rebounds. It's part of his DNA. And a lot of guys are, and I think if you got him in a really honest moment, he would tell you he's more than what he is as far as his role, but he's also embraced that role. Like I think he, if you got him very honest, he would say that he could be a much bigger score. He could be a, 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 you know, a top level contributor on a good team. He probably believes that but he's also willing to embrace the role of like, I'll be the scrappy guy who goes and gets a hundred rebounds and makes my bones off the bench and, you know, can kind of find my way into the roster. Uh, Whereas a lot of guys kind of, I think, you know, take that role as a bit of an insult. He never really did. And and he's such a good rebounder because of that, uh, that he fully embraced what that means. And so credit to Josh Hart. I mean, again, he's not a perfect player. Like there's, his market is so hard to determine in the offseason because he's not a perfect player. And then if someone, you know, with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williams and skill played with Josh Hart's motor, they'd be, you know, a top five player in the league. Uh, he's not all of that, but he does have the part of it that, that you can see. 
And, uh, and that rebounding skill is very real. And those rebounding numbers don't come by accident. Like 17 rebounds in a game, you know, if you're talking 14, 15 defensive rebounds in a game, that it completely changes what your team is on that night. There are so many players, especially early in their career, who see scoring and points as the way that they're going to they, they're going to prove that they belong in the NBA or they're going to prove that they should be a starter or whatever role that they're trying to earn. So it is pretty unique for him to, as you said, Scott, to embrace the idea that the way I'm going to help a team is going to be rebounding. And people maybe don't appreciate that as much as they do the guys that put in the, the most points. But um, he's definitely shown just his value in that area. So it's funny, too, you mentioned, you know, his – his vulturing of rebounds. I know he always jokes about other players stealing his rebounds and vice versa, but it, it, it's interesting. We, we talked about how, you know, he's near the top of the NBA and rebounding on guards. The only guard, you know, based on the way, for example, that ESPN designates positions. I know some people would consider heart a forward slash guard, but based on ESPN's um, rankings, Russell Westbrook is the only guard who averaged more rebounds per game than him this season. So, He's another guy that people have kind of said, you know, does he vulture rebound? So we might have to ask Steven Adams about that because he's actually been involved in both players' careers over the last few years. So just kind of an interesting coincidence. Maybe it says something about Steven Adams as a teammate that he's willing to uh, let some of these guards get walk into his territory and grab some of these rebounds. It's not a bad thing to vulture rebounds. Like, I think it, I think it shows something that you at least – care you know it's better sure. than vulture scoring you know it's better than right, right. the ball like mm-hmm. I think Russell Westbrook is a, is a great example of a player who you can claim he's selfish and trying to go for stats but he's also really good and he's pushed his team to win and he definitely uh no one's ever questioned Russell Westbrook showing up uh every single sure. night right? so that kind of it might go hand in hand I don't know how fair that is but it does feel as if there's a correlation there Another thing going along those lines, and maybe this is just me notice, I'm sure everyone else did. We talk about on the radio broadcast all the time is if Josh Hart got the rebound or got a steal, it was a one-man fast break no matter what was going on from coast to coast. There'd be it'd be one on four, one on five, and Josh Hart was going to the rim no matter what. What about his his fearlessness as far as attacking that? That really stuck out to you is just the fact that he was going to go in for that layup no matter how many guys were guarding him on the court. What does Antonio Daniels always say? It's it's pace is not the amount of possessions per game. Pace is how quickly you get into your offense. Mm-hmm. When he's able to push the ball up the floor like that, you change the way that you play offense. You're putting the defense on its heels. You're being the aggressor instead of kind of letting the defense dictate to you where you have to pick your spots. And so those things are really important. And to get that guy and, and to really pick up the motor of it a couple of times, uh, in a game, I think is really important. And that, I remember Drew Holiday always saying stuff like that when he was here, that he always needed sort of that guy next to him who he liked pushing the ball at the floor, that it was a good thing to have somebody who prioritized that. And so Josh Hart isn't your natural whatever lead guard, but he's the, he is the guy who's going to, you know, be aggressive and push the pace and make things uncomfortable in defense. And he's part of the reason their offense was so good in that February. He's not like an amazing shooter. I mean, he had, you know, a game where he made, what, five or six three-pointers or something like that. But that's pretty rare. For the most part, his offense came from just pushing at the defense, and it opened up stuff and made them a better uh, offensive unit, even if he's not an ideal offensive player. What did you see, Jim, as far as that, that was concerned, as far as, you know, the fast breaks with him? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's been something that I think people have really enjoyed watching the last couple of years. And it's something that they probably missed in April when he went out. I know when he was injured, you, you, you immediately think, how is this going to affect the rebounding that we just talked about in the defense? But I do think that the, the team missed some of that engine as far as being able to push the ball up the floor. And I mean, obviously, combined with other injuries, Nikhil was out for a while and the and the the two um, guys that have been all-stars also missed a handful of games, especially at the very tail end of the season. But um, it was, it was too bad, you know, at the end of the year that the offense was kind of what let down, um, but it was somewhat expected based on the personnel that was on the floor and, and, and wasn't on the floor. And I think Josh being out definitely affected that as well. Before I let you guys go, you know, you talk about this is an important off season for Josh and also for the Pelicans as far as what they do, not only with, with him, but with Lonzo Ball, we talked about last week. But as far as what Josh can maybe improve on, or what's you know preventing him from you know being that all-around player, what, what are some of the things that that can make him that all-around guy? Not only on the defensive side, the hustle, the rebounding, uh, you know, the taking the ball at the floor. Uh, what's the next step for Josh Hart, Scott? I, he's got to shoot better. Uh, this is a league of shooting. There, there's no question. You can't be a guard and can't shoot. It's really hard. You have to be elite at a couple of different things uh, to do that. And he's not really that guy right now. Uh, we've seen players grow their shooting tremendously, including like you mentioned, Lonzo Ball. We've seen it happen before. It's not as if shooting is a static skill that uh, can improve over time. But he shot, oh, I think, 32% from three this year. Uh, and that's just not good enough. Uh, in, in the league right now, you have to be closer to 40% if you're going to be a threat offensively and especially with the way the Pelicans are trying to build David Griffin made no bones that he wants to improve shooting on this team, but he also wants to improve basketball IQ and toughness. And those are two things that Josh Hart does. He needs to improve now the third, which is shooting. Uh, what kind of faith the Pelicans have that that will improve will dictate a lot about whether or not he comes back. Uh, I, I expect his market value to be completely opaque when things open. I can see one team valuing him at a really high number and other teams valuing him at almost nothing. Uh, it just depends on the philosophy and the need really of a team. Cause I think he can help drive a team like the Pelicans that need that push. Uh, and at the same time, a team that is not in need of that probably has no interest in a guy like Josh Hart. So uh, if he improves his shooting though, He's a really valuable piece and a really good player. But if he doesn't, he's kind of in this role, which for the right team is really good. And for the wrong team is sort of meaningless. Yeah, Scott, you said it. I mean, Josh himself, when he was asked the day after the season ended, what's the area that he needs to improve on? He immediately said shooting. So he knows that himself as well. It's definitely not something that is um, an area that he's not aware of. Um, I, I think there was a stretch. There were stretches during the season where he started um, losing confidence to the point where he wasn't even taking some of the shots that he was open on. So, I mean, obviously that has to be something that he improves. You need to have everybody on the floor be willing to shoot when they're open because otherwise it just bogs down the whole offense and you end up with a worse shot than the one that you, you passed up in a lot of cases, you know, due to the 24 second shot clock. So, no doubt that's the area that he's going to be working on the most and um, an area that that's the biggest key for him. I, I think one quick thing I'll throw in um, watching the playoffs lately, I, I see guys like Dylan Brooks and Royce O'Neal and players like that 
who've carved out such a huge role and, and kind of their intensity, they have other skills as well, but their intensity and just kind of their relentlessness is, is the biggest thing in a lot of games that they bring to a team. And I would love to see Josh Hart have that opportunity as well to be on the playoff stage. I feel like beyond new Orleans, I don't think there are that many people. Well, obviously excluding the massive Lakers fan base that has got to see him play his first couple of years, but I don't feel like there's a lot of recognition about how, uh, what kind of player Josh is just because he hasn't been in the postseason. So I think that's the next, one of the next steps for him as far as getting more recognition from a kind of a national perspective. Should be an interesting offseason, that's for sure. And one of those guys will be Josh Hart. That's Scott Kushner, NBA and Pelicans columnist for the Times, com. The Advocate can follow him on Twitter at Scott D. Kushner. Most likely, there will be Tennessee Volunteer Baseball tweets for the next couple of weeks. For him, hopefully, it's the next couple of hopefully weeks. Hopefully, a couple of weeks. And more yeah. to come. <laughs> not, um, not two days, that, yeah. <laughs> but no, other than that, he does a great job of covering the Pelicans in the rest of the league. Scott, I appreciate it, and, and good luck to your balls this weekend. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Again, tomorrow we'll have Jackson Hayes. Thursday, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and we'll wrap up the week with Billy Hernan Gomez. Hope you have a great rest of your Tuesday. Until tomorrow, for Jim Eikenhofer and Scott Kushner, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CP.